Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. The Auckland, or shall we call them the North Island floods, taught us anything. It's the vulnerability we have for our food production and our food system, whether it was onions and potatoes flowing down the streets of Pukekohe or trucks not being able to get through to deliver to supermarkets or even the rush on not toilet paper this time, but um, on things like eggs and bread and all the staples. (laughs) Um, So climate change is going to have a big impact on food production and our food system. And nobody knows more about this than Chief Scientist Brent Clothier from Plant and Food Research. Brent, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, You are going to be heading off to Dubai to help them with their climate change issues in a minute, but maybe we could just talk about New Zealand for a bit. Or maybe next week I'll be saying salam alaikum. Um, Yes, that is correct. Uh, Let's have a chat about climate and food production systems and the, the threats to our infrastructure too. Brent, the floods last week or uh, whenever this podcast plays, it might be two weeks, but they were so profound. They were intense beyond what we've experienced before. And give us a sense of just how typical this kind of deluge is likely to be. Yeah, in, in a certain sense, there's a, uh, there's nothing unusual about how it happened. What was unusual is is how big it was. The event was caused by an atmospheric river, and these atmospheric rivers come out of the tropics in a very narrow band, squeezed between two anticyclones, and they funnel down and hit New Zealand like a bullseye. Um, the people in Westport have been hit twice. Nelson's been hit once, and now Auckland's been hit. So these are normal events where we have these anticyclones squeezing moisture-laden air out of the tropics in a very narrow band. So they've happened um, throughout the ages. What is unusual is that the intensity of these atmospheric rivers has increased with climate change. The atmosphere is warmer, it, it holds more water, and the wind speeds are stronger, and they come down and they just luckily hit a small area and create a deluge. That's not an equal kind of experience, is it? Because there are parts of New Zealand that are virtually in drought, Southland in, in particular. Will the experience of climate change accentuate what we already had, or is there actually a, also a fundamental change in the kind of weather we experience? Uh, well, again, there's a, the normal pattern that we see in the Pacific. It, it's rather schizophrenic. It's either... Uh, It it flips between the La Nina state, which we're just leaving after three years, and we're going to we're into what's called ENSO El Nino Southern Oscillation Neutral Phase, and towards August we will go to an El Nino, so we'll come back and have the westerly winds. Um, So that we have that sort of uh, schizophrenia around drought and floods, um, depending on which side of the island you are. But overall. Uh, it might not seem it just now. Um, since 1996, there's actually been nearly 11% decline in annual rainfall across New Zealand as a result of climate change. So we are getting less rainfall. In certain areas like Northland, that has even been more dramatic in, in terms of Northland. 
um, it's it's something like eighteen uh, percent lower than it was in nineteen ninety six to two thousand. So the total rain we are receiving, the supply of water is becoming less. Whereas at the same time, through our warming atmosphere, the atmosphere is putting more demand on our plants. So it's a double whammy in the sense that we have, we have less water that is supplying our reservoirs, our rivers, our lakes, our groundwaters mm-hmm. of the order of 10%. And meanwhile, we're having greater demand during summer on average because of our warmer conditions. Do you mean there's more evaporation? More evapotranspiration because the atmosphere um, is warmer and the relative humidity is lower. It sounds like the beginnings of a network effect. When you get a warmer, wetter atmosphere, you get more storms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the the intensity of our extreme events is increasing. It's it's with us now. Well, we know that. We've seen it in Westport, Middleton, and now Auckland, Northland. So the intensity of our events are increasing. Yeah. Our winds also. What are the implications for food? Now let's talk about Food production. What are you seeing? Uh, <laughs> food requires plants. Whether the plants get eaten by animals or we eat the plants directly ourselves, uh, plants need water. So through the summer period, we're going to have to um, consider how vulnerable we are uh, in terms of our irrigation resources, because we, we're we going to have less water supply into our reservoirs, our lakes, rivers, and groundwaters, and greater demand. And at the, at the same time, there is a societal demand um, for um, environmental flows in our water resources. Our groundwaters supply rivers, and so uh, they're a key link. It's just because it's out of sight, underfoot. And it, it's all connected. If we suck on groundwater, then the water table drops and the recharge of our surface water resources will go down at that critical time during um, the summer um, autumn period. Uh, I don't know if you can put a figure on it, but how dependent on irrigation are we to produce food? Very. Uh, the, if, you, if you look at the irrigation in particular in Canterbury, the biggest one, um, uh, it's hugely important for um, dairy production systems there. If we look at the viticultural um, industry, predominantly in, in Marlborough, hugely dependent on irrigation. Um, and so all of those East Coast regions, our horticultural regions of Gisborne, um, Hawke's Bay, Wairarapa and Canterbury, at Marlborough Nelson, hugely dependent on water. And the other thing is, too, that uh, a little quick fact is that every New Zealander, on average, drinks two litres of groundwater a day. Just water consumption for uh, Human consumption. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've just touched on growing. What are the other implications for the food system that climate change will have? Well, the the infrastructure is is another one in terms of in terms of how things like uh, flooding of our lowland areas. Uh, a lot of our infrastructure is built on floodplains. Um, Hawke's Bay, um, Pukekohe, 
Um, and so the, the flooding has a devastating effect on our infrastructure. Extreme events, wind and hailstorms, for example, um, some two years ago, massive hailstorm right at the wrong time in Motueka Nelson that had a devastating effect on horticultural crops. Mm. Before, there are infrastructural solutions for that in terms of hail netting and stuff like that, hmm. and we see that increasing. We, we, we'll get to the solutions in a minute and some of the adaptation uh, strategies that you recommend, but I'm curious to know, Brent, when you're out there talking with growers and farmers and food producers, uh, what's the appetite for conversations about climate change? Um, it's warming up. <laughs> so to speak, in ironically, that, um, ironically <clears throat> I think there's a, a greater awareness and it's a real challenge for growers and farmers to think about climate change because they live in the weather. So they're very, very astute um, in terms of their knowledge of weather. Mm. But climate is longer. So this is where the memory comes in, uh, in terms of do we remember how bad it was um, in previous times? And and this is one of the interesting, and society is the same. This is one of the interesting things around the reference to the um, Auckland Northland floods. And I, I think the journalists are getting better at it. I despair when someone says, this is the, this is the wettest year um, in 84 years. What they mean is we've had a weather record for 84 years. Hmm. The correct terminology should be this is the wettest ever on record. And so putting it and catching it in terms of how many years it, it is to the weather records began sort of softens the blow of, of, of what we're actually talking about. It is bad. We've never seen it this bad. And, and that's, uh, that I think in, in terms of uh, uh, the Auckland event, um, this you can see that this has has been and mm. it's very interesting to hear the word unprecedented. It, it was virtually in every news broadcast. In terms of adaptation, you talk about three approaches, particularly mm -hmm. for, for for growers. What yeah. tell me about those three approaches to adaptation? Because they're it's actually quite a handy framework. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the, the first one, and it, as you said, it applies to horticultural growers. It all applies to all our primary industries, actually. There are tactical adaptations, and let's have a look at, say, horticulture. Um, we notice that the the bud break um, for our horticultural crops is, is coming earlier, the flowering dates coming earlier, and the harvest dates coming earlier. So there are tactical changes. You do the same things at different times or slightly different ways. So that's tactical adaptation. Um, keep on doing this, uh, growing the same crop, just do it differently, and that's easy to do. And because farmers and growers live in the weather, they, they make those adaptations all the time. The other one's strategic adaptation. And so an example like that might be um, kiwi fruit that requires a certain degree of winter chilling, um, especially a green variety. You need cooler winters for, um, to, for initiation of floral processes. And if you don't have that, then you don't get floral initiation to the, the level required for good production. And this is a real challenge in the Northland already at the time being. And so certain chemicals are used to provoke um, floral initiation. Um, so in the future, 
we might have to do something strategic, like not grow green kiwi fruit. I work for plant and food research, not in this area, but our, our breeders are breeding um, kiwi fruit that don't have that winter chilling requirement. So there could be a need to change the varieties, the cultivars of crops uh, we, we grow. And so that's a strategic adaptation, doing something slightly different, um, changing the strategy, uh, no longer growing green, maybe going gold. And then there's transformational adaptation, and that is doing something completely different. And so keeping in the analogy on horticulture, a green kiwi fruit grower in Northland may say, hmm, I might grow avocados now because it's just too hard to grow uh, kiwi fruit under those conditions. Or uh, someone might say, hypothetically, uh, I love growing being green kiwi fruit. I might shift to central Hawke's Bay where I can grow it more easily because there's still winter chilling. Food. So that's transformational, doing something completely different at the same place or doing something different by moving the same crop to another area. I would include things like precision fermentation and yep. um, you know uh, what else, what else in that cultured meats and cultured proteins in that transformational category, right? And you yep. you were already doing some work in that regard. Yes, yes. In, in terms of the changing um, diet, uh, not me personally, but yes, there is a, we've had a stream of work in plant and food research on sustainable diets and mm. what those um, could look like. Um, and how that how that might change the way we we um, farm. Um, of course, um, one of the one of the um, constraints may well be the zero carbon bill in terms of how the profitability of primary production systems might change if um, greenhouse gas emissions are included in in um, the costs. You mean as a tool for driving a more sustainable food uh, farm systems. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, so the, the big question, and I don't know if Brent, this, uh, you're prepared to answer this, but, you know, so much of our economy is based on ruminant animals, on agriculture, not horticulture. Do you think that these kind of climate change adaptations will necessarily m drive a change from ag to hort? Look, I, I, I'll, I'll get myself the trouble if I, if I, <laughs> I have a lot of colleagues in ag research, and uh, and people in glass houses that shouldn't throw stones. So I'll, if you want, I'll, I'll avoid that one. I have a personal view, but I'll, I'll leave it there. No, oh, that's a shame. You are actually in glass houses, so that's quite an apt analogy. It's lovely okay. talking to you. Okay. Thanks so much, Jerry. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. If you like the show, please rate us as it helps others to find us. Ka kiti anō.